everybody. Welcome to episode 83, which is going to cover the show and tell episodes four to five. This episode exists to give you an MP3 version of the video shows in the show and tell Hangouts, Google Hangouts. If you have a chance to sit and watch them, um, they have some graphics and some visuals added to them, but for those of you that don't have the time to sit down and spend a half an hour, 45 minutes watching your computer screen or just want to be able to load it onto your iPod or whatever, uh, we're publishing these in an episode as MP3s. You can download them or listen to them at your convenience. So without any further ado, here they are. Here's episode four of our Hangouts. Steven, you're underwater again. Oh, well, I haven't said much lately. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not you then. Mark, are you still there? Yeah, I'm yes, fine. I am. I can hear Mark everybody. and Mark. Okay, we have Humphreys and Babic. Okay. Hello, everybody. Are we on? Morning. I think we're on. Hello, everyone. Welcome to, to the two half squads, and this is hangout number four. We're happy to see everybody. So who's here? Who's with us tonight? I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. We also have um, Mark. Say hi, Mark. There's Which two Marks. Oh, Mark Babick. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Mark. Glad you could join us. Jack Jack Garitza. Is that how your name is pronounced? Garitza. Close enough. Hi, guys. Garitza. Gotcha. Hi. Welcome. Uh, Mark Humphreys with us again. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, good morning to you from the Philippines. Glad you could join us. Sam Tyson. Hi, Sam. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good to be here. And Stephen Hicks. Howdy. He we don't have move. any uh, camera on you. Is that right, Stephen? <laughs> Steve's uh, that, been that's frozen. Right. You probably don't want it. I might break my camera or something. So. <laughs> well, this picture is going to break my uh, computer screen right here. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> and Jack also is not moving. Yeah, Jack is, uh, yeah, that's a good picture, Jack. Well, we're glad, anyway, we're glad everybody could join us as we are continuing experiment with uh, with video. We're going to call it TV. Let's just call oh, yeah. it what it is. We want to be TV stars, and here we are. This is it. We're living, living the dream right here. <laughs> this is as good as it gets. So, uh, hey, has everybody been playing squad leader this week? Yes. I played Wednesday. And what did for you, you play? Sam? What'd you play? Well, I'm still playing my Budapest campaign. Oh yes. Do you have any video you can show us of that? Is the board right there where you're? Uh, no, where you it's, uh, it's in the other room. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's okay. You're covered up at the moment for cat protection. Yeah, gotcha. You got to get rid of that cat, or you know, maybe you could like tie his legs together so he can't jump onto tables. Maybe Mark Humphrey. Mark Humphreys, what have, what have you played? I played a half a game of um, a, a winter offensive, the last winter offensive scenario, Hell uh, uh, for the Holidays. All first right. First half or the second half? Uh, the first half. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute to get that one. 
So, Mark, I like the backdrop uh, behind you there. It looks like you've got a bunch of games in plastic. Or is there like, uh, is that for biological health reasons? Or is there been a uh, biological attack? It's extremely humid in the Philippines. If you just leave your games out without protection, they'll just get mildew and brown. And books also, all my books are in plastic, or most of them. Wow. I didn't know. Was that, don't you, do you have air conditioning? Yeah, have air conditioning, but uh, I don't have it on all day. Yeah. I have to have the windows open once in a while, get some yeah. fresh air. But, uh, yeah, humidity is very, very high here all year round. So game protection is difficult. Game conservation. Well, it gets humid here, too, but we just put plastic bags over ourselves, and that way we don't have to bag all our games. <laughs> Many people have died yeah. trying that. <laughs> Must be a Chicago thing. It, it is. Hey, Mark, where are you calling from? Uh, Mark uh, Babick. Looks, um, it looks like your office or something. Well, this is the uh, computer room. This is the nerve center of the entire Babick empire, uh, <laughs> located in Dallas, Texas. Okay. And do you play ASL? Uh, you know, I started playing when uh, when the game first came out, but uh, the the group that I played with, we've uh, dispersed across the state. Yeah, we all have families, jobs. It's really tough to get together. Oh yeah, we don't let families get in the way of our gaming. <laughs> yeah. <it's... laughs> I. Uh... You know, I'm actually trying to slug through the uh, starter kit rules. I, I think that might be a good opportunity to try to bring some uh, some new uh, friends or uh, work colleagues into the uh, the mix. Good for you. Don't tell them that you, uh, you know, that a lot of guys wear plastic bags over their heads while they play squad later. <laughs> you don't want people well, to get know, the wrong some, idea. Some, so some of them actually still play D&D, so it's... Uh, Woo. Not, that I, not that I would ever do that. Thing. Yeah, Dave. Dave is still a dungeon, an active dungeon master. Yeah, but I don't admit it in public. And is this going out live? Yes, it is. Oh, it's public. That's the reason for the bag over your head. Well, I've been playing. Uh, I've been playing a mini campaign game. But what I wanted to show you tonight. Well, I can move my camera. We're. Uh, oh yeah. Okay, there it is. Get up off my rear. This is like, you know what? For Dave's birthday, I'm going to buy him a steady cam, like a used one from Hollywood. Pan, pan to the right. Pan to the right. There you go. Is that making sense? To Everybody's going to love that shot. That's a beautiful shot. Flyover. C- cinematography by Dave Kleinschmidt. No, no Academy Award. No. I wanted to show people games that I'm going to be selling so that I can afford more squad leader stuff. So uh, I'm going to be selling. I've got two of these games from um, Avalanche Press, Africa Core and Beyond Normandy. Has anybody ever played any of these? Not even Mark. Okay. Well, they're no good. That's why I'm selling them. Mark, you have to brew on your shelves, right? No, I, I've got I've got games in every corner of the house, every nook and cranny. I have no room whatsoever anymore. That's a good spot to be in, really. Uh, I'm the same as you. I have to get rid of stuff to make room for new ASL new stuff. stuff. 
I'll be selling my commands and colors, um, which was kind of an okay game. It was much better than the commands in black and white, which came, which was the first iteration. Um, but the ancients don't really interest me anymore. Uh, then I got Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is going. I thought this was actually based on West Side Story for some reason. <laughs> Puerto Rico. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was going to be the Jets and the Sharks, but it's not. And Ricky Ricardo makes no appearance. And Jeff uh, sold his first game. There's yeah. an ASL. To there's me. an ASL module with the with what's West Side Story in it. Oh, really? Yeah, on Board Game Geek, it's got counters for the Jets and the Sharks, and it's got like uh, dancing DRMs and things like that. Now that sounds like something Sam would be interested in. Really, Sam. <laughs> Sam, of course, being a, a former Broadway dancer, <laughs> but he's not admitting. Then I'm letting go of. I'm letting go of Von Manstein's backhand blow. You don't like the blow card? I don't like the blow. Uh, I think drugs it has something to do with drugs. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this one, boy, this one, this one's really a bore. Firefox and Phantom. Uh, I'll just show you what the boards look like. Does it have Clint Eastwood in it? Pardon? Does it have Clint Eastwood in it? It does. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the boards. It was a simpler day back in the day. That's the the mounted edition. That's actually pretty rare. It's the mounted edition. Oh, rare. Yeah. Oh, my price just went. My price just went up. Um, then Crusader. That's going bye bye. Never got around to playing this, but it has nothing to do with uh, King Richard and Robin Hood. It's got good it's box art, though. Nice box art, yeah. But this is show and tell, not show and sell. <laughs> I think you're what am I doing? What am I doing? Somebody bid for 45. Somebody bid for 45. Britannia, this is uh, a great game. Great looking and heavy, but you know we're, what? We're now at 85% ASL. <laughs> yeah, and dropping quickly. Yeah. Dropping <laughs> Let's go to Jack. Did have you played anything lately? I just been kind of struggling through. Um, I kind of restarted back in ASL and uh, going through the starter kits again. And just not too recently, uh, the the first uh, starter kit number one, the first uh, scenario, and really just got my butt handed to me. So kind of w- licking my wounds after that, and probably start playing again. Uh, hopefully next weekend. Yeah. Where do you don't live, Jack? In Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, perfect. A lot of ASLers in Ohio. Yeah. Especially Cleveland. Well, Cleveland with you no know, ASLAC coming up. I mean, who's coming out to ASLAC this year? Oh, I wish. Mark, are you really? Yeah, it'll be my first ASLAC. Oh, man. You lucky dog. Oh, that's amazing. That's going to be great. That's a long trip. It's it is. Yeah, it's five hours for us. I don't know if we can make it. That's kind of... Uh, it's 20-something 20, 20 hours for me, you know, 24-something like that with the stopovers. Wow. So are you going to drive with somebody or are you driving yourself? 
<laughs> yeah, my submarine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, really, are you, are you coming with anybody from that area? Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll be the only one from, from the Philippines. Well, that's uh, amazing. We're only three. Uh, one of what? the ASLers is going to have a baby probably during ASLOC, so he can't come. Oh, and it might be fun to watch it. that happen at Aslock. <laughs> you want to watch it? <laughs> yeah, an ASL guy having a baby? Yeah. That would be cool. What would they name the ASL baby? Beyond Valor? <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah, yank. Yank him out of there. <laughs> oh, come on. It's got to be Sergeant Stoller. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Well, um, that's great. I'm glad you're coming. And actually, I don't know if Dave and I will be there. We we haven't decided yet. We yeah, we did the Gen Con this year, which puts a hole in the financial. Resources. Well, and Dave Dave's a teacher. He can't. He has a hard time getting away at that True. time. So we'd have. To, I, I if I go, I'm going to have to kidnap him to take him along. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens. But um, you know, I Sam, I. Did I tell you I bought? Oh yeah, you knew I bought this. I still notice I still haven't opened it. <laughs> You're gonna do that right now, right? Should oh, I? we could do a what's been, in the box. We Is could that... do what's in the box, and you could tell us what's in this box. There's yeah. Two. Should we? Is one okay with that? Let's I'm okay with that. Let's take a quick look. All right, let's take a and, quick look. And Sam could update us also about what's up. What's sure. coming? Yeah, up. what's coming up and what's new. Except so there's the 16 scenarios in there, four map boards, I believe. Been a while. And it is uh, the U.S. moving past Normandy into and British. Yeah, maybe? That's correct. Beyond the beachhead. Is that the one with the long uh, article on uh, Bocage? Uh, the Operation Cobra, the other companion, has the articles in it. Has the magazine. I, that's how I learned Bocage through the article in. In, uh, <laughs> in the other one, yeah, in the yeah, we've had a lot of good compliments on that article. It's a fantastic article. I wouldn't have been able to get through Bocage without that. Good. All right, I think I'm going to have to order this. Also, I see some overlays. <sighs> oh, overlays! Like lots of cool. I got a hill, half board, half board overlays, and a. Bocage Hill overlay. This is the Bocage Hill. Good wow, Jeff, click me up. You're up. On, on board. Yeah. And we have nice chapel in the middle of this one. With oh, that's the one with the chapel. Uh huh. And thank goodness. Rather dense. Now, Sam, there's some hedges with dark brown on it. What is that? So the bokeh is actually printed on those boards. Oh, like, instead of like instead of hedges? translating hedges into bokeh, we actually printed the bokeh. You're right. Well, I guess you would be right. And hedges. Yeah. So the ones with the brown edges. Oh, yeah. Hold it up again, Dave, and see. If, hold it still, so uh, we can zoom in on that. So where is that? Oh, yeah, I see it. There's okay. one. This is hedge, and this is bokash. Hold it up a little higher. There you go. <laughs> this okay, is hedge. That's it. And this is bokash. Oh, nice. A brown outline around it. 
Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I love these positions for hull downing your tanks. Can you, can you make him the main image? Um, oh, Jeff thinks but I actually, am the Actually, according to... Look at his picture at the bottom. And it'll... I did. He is the main image, and when this gets rebroadcast, it'll show Dave as the main image. Oh, even though we don't Just see while him. while you guys are watching, you will you will probably appear as the main image. You can click on any picture at the bottom, and it'll change your top image as a user. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Even you, Dave. Thanks, Sam. Sure. This technology moment has been brought to you by... And, Sam, we get these marvelous boards. Four of them. The same bocage printing. Those are standard size boards. That's correct. Starter kit style. The original two were published when we worked with Heat of Battle. So you got the A and B. Oh, you're kind of reissuing them? Actually, those are I, G, H, and somewhere in that line. Yeah, F, D, D. And All right. Suggesting scenarios. I will go through them. Anything that you thought was particularly spectacular about the scenarios? You're asking me? Yeah, Sam. Uh, there's actually some very good scenarios in that pack. The um, drawing a blank on them. The one with the that's played all on the mountain. Oh. Overlay. The great hill attack, Germans attack up the hill against the Americans. A fun little scenario. Okay. Martin Mill Ridge, is that it? Right. Yep. I've had fun with that one twice. So. Is that Jack? No, oh, that was Steve. Oh, Steven. Sorry. <laughs> I'm pretty quiet about here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you... Well, oh, on the back is Into the Rubble Errata. Can we find that on the website? Yes, yeah, all the errata gets constantly updated on their own website. We have that half page to fill in there, so that'd be nice to publish that. Yeah, I haven't got it added to mine, my copy of Into the Rubble. Check that one out. And you have uh, Historical Battle Rules. Is it a campaign game, or is this... That's the no. There's just scenario, or that's just rules explaining the bocage and the, the terrain. There's some hex side buildings. I think we introduced in that. So just a couple of tricky things on the boards to. Oh yeah, some houses going stuff. across the hex sides. Right. That should be easy to interpret, right? Just block line side. And, oh, by no bypass, of course. Snapshots, not allowed. Yeah. Excellent. Simple stuff. Good scenarios. Still deleting stock if anybody needs a copy. I might have to get one. Oh, yeah, you got to get one. I won't let you borrow mine. (laughs) (laughs) So if I come to play it here at your house, I have to bring my own copy. Bring your own. (laughs) That's a way to do it. I don't mind borrowing your stuff, but I don't want you to borrow my stuff. Well, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff was going to sell Dawn Patrol here, but he traded me 
for about 30 ASL boards. All right. I see the scenarios. Oh, yeah. No, we're not. There you go. And so I wonder if we could coordinate a a campaign game using Google Hangout. (laughs) Like Tarawa. We could get like six guys together and do Tarawa. I don't think anybody up for it. Technically possible. I think it would be challenging just because of the size of it. We'd all be committing uh, seppuku probably early on. Has anybody played Tarawa? Mark, have you played Tarawa? No, I'm not. I'm not PTO yet. Oh, (laughs) you live in the Philippines. That's it. That seems ironic. (laughs) I'm looking for writing some. I played some of the campaign. I started the campaign once, and the Japanese withdrew, basically, forfeited the campaign. Oh, it's a victory. No, yeah, sort of. It's definitely a challenging start for the Americans. Yeah. Coming on on the boat. So, Mark... Mark, have you played any uh, gigantic games? Not in, not necessarily in Squad Leader, but in any war games? Anything really huge? Me? Uh, Mark. Mark Babick. Uh, you know, back in college, when we uh, had access to space to uh, to do a setup, we uh, one summer we actually played uh, D&O, uh, Dragnock Oston which was, uh, I guess, uh, Operation Barbarossa at the operational level. Uh, that took most of the summer to slug through, but that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah about that, that was. was. How many guys played? Uh, man, we had, uh, let's see, it was six guys, three on each side. You said that was in college? Yes. Yeah, back in... Uh, Ooh, don't, don't give it away. That was like <laughs> summer of 77, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, college, uh, five years ago. I remember that. Just like it was yesterday. How about Jack? Have you played any large things? Uh, probably about five years ago at Origins. Uh, I actually ran it up a couple people. We had four total, and we did Avalon Hill's The Longest Day. Uh, which is basically just the Normandy invasion. And that was just the monster game that Avalon Hill put out that they claimed had every unit on the Normandy invasion. And when you're, I think it had like 14,000 pieces. Whoa. And so it took us maybe six hours to set up. And then we spent the next maybe 49, 50 hours playing it. But it was one of those things where we actually got done I don't even remember how much Mountain Dew and caffeine, coffee, and everything else we had, but it was just a monster game, but we had a blast playing it. That sounds beautiful. You got pictures? I got some pictures somewhere, and I have to dig them up, though. That'd be cool to see. Send them over if you get a chance. I can do so. Okay, great. How about Steven? Hicks? You still with us, Stephen? Is he muted? I don't think so. He is not muted, according to me. 
Pretty sure I have Jeff Dave muted Stephen Hicks. Oh, he disappeared. He's back. Well, we'll assume he has. And then, Sam, we didn't quite get an update. Did you want to add some more of what uh, you guys are going to be doing at Bounty Fire? So we're still working on our Polish campaign, or or not campaign, but our Polish module, which will be similar in size to the uh, Blood and Jungle or the Crucible of Steel. So that will come out next year. Uh, And then hopefully before that, we can wrap up our Hurricane Forest Operation Schmidt module or package. So that's almost done. That has a campaign game in it, which is taking us a few extra months to get through. But that's I'm close to getting that wrapped up, and hopefully we can get that in the printing process by the end of the year. So, Yeah, Hurtkin's a pretty famous um, battle there. It's all wooded. You know? Right, the, the forest areas are, are wooded because they're forest. And then like, Schmidt and Commerscheid are the two villages. Or okay, that's what I was just kind of getting at. There are villages. Right. Okay. And then the hillsides, very hilly, mountainous, wooded terrain. Yeah, that's an, I actually have a worksheet I give to the students that's on that uh, Battle Hurricane and talks about the um, difficulty of attacking and the terrain and, and what makes it a good defensible positions and stuff. Right. Yeah, I, I remember doing that map about 10 years ago for the two cities and the hillside. It doesn't quite get up to the Tall River Trail, but just south of that uh, area is inclusive and the two cities and the the campaign game fights back and forth between the two cities. The Germans push the Americans out, and they fight back in and, and back up the hill. So, interesting campaign. We also have a, as part of that, we also have Vossenack, which is another city on a completely separate map that's about 30 hexes wide and 120 hexes long, probably. Down, you know, as the that village primarily goes down a road down a hillside, so narrow and long there's some good scenarios on that map as well so it'll be an interesting pack yeah it sounds good and Hurtkin is a battle I have not read a lot about so I'm really at a loss as to what happened there I'm trying to think of the, the good book but I can't put my name put the title in my head at the moment but Keating I, I think is the right name but been a while since I read it. It's a good book. And then is there something else coming up in the distant future or something you're thinking about doing? Well, there's always other stuff going on. So we have the uh, project on Peleliu. We have a Corregidor project that are both being done by um, by Sarge, David Roth in Arizona. He's part of the Bounding Fire team. Uh, he's got both those in design and playtest. He's, you know, playtesting and solitary and a bunch of that stuff. So that's in in progress as we speak. So there's some playtest groups out there for that, for both those modules. Uh, And and quite a few other things uh, down the road. So, Mark Babbick, there's someone behind you. (laughs) Yes, that is my lovely and patient wife. You know, I have the psycho music. She is patient. She is. Look, wow. she's just sitting still. <laughs> That's nice. Oh, my son still wants to come on. We'll let him come on sometime. 
He's yeah, and I'll be doing my mind. puppet show uh, <laughs> later on. Well, my son said he'll just agree with people. He'll sit there and just kind of go, mm-hmm. yes, that's, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we've actually hit our 30-minute mark. No, already? Yes. I didn't get a chance to offer everyone some Reed's red ginger candy. Anyone want some? I'm sorry. We, we don't have time for that, Dave. Maybe next time. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. I know, uh, Mark, especially a tough time of day for you. Um, we're going to be working on that for those people that are Asia Pacific and Europe. We've had um, several requests for that, so we'll probably be doing that. But thanks, everybody, for joining us. Anybody got any last thing they want to say? Jack? Hey, if anyone is coming to Aslock, just let me know. Email me. I'd be more than happy to show some Cleveland hospitality for people coming over. We have some fine beer. Great Lakes Brewery is right around the corner, so I'd be more than happy to entertain. Okay, and we um, and we have your email address, right, because you've emailed us at the show. Yes, I have several times the uh, most interesting man in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got to get on that. I love that one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's a, it takes a village to make some comedy bits. So, <laughs> um, and then, um, Mark Paddock, anything you'd like to say? Ah, I had fun. I think this is a great idea. I want to thank both, uh, both of you for uh, hosting it. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot for being with us. Hope you can join us again next time. Sure. Mark? Humphreys? Great to see you again. Yeah, man, I'd like to get there since you guys are all going to go. Hours for you, no excuse. Maybe just Friday. Well, no, Saturday. Yeah, drive down just Friday night. Saturday day, come back back Sunday. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. And Sam, great to see you. All right, good to see you guys. See you next week. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye Bye, bye. Bye. Take care. All right, that was ASL show and tell number four. What a great bunch of guys. Get people together from around the world. Get some different voices on the show and hear what they have to say. Add some variety to the show. And I guess now we'll go right into episode five, Gliders, with just Rich Spilkey as our special guest. This is a follow-up to episode 82, Paratroopers and Gliders. And here it is. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. And I'm Dave. Dave, you look a, a little odd. Well, uh, since we last talked, I joined a satanic occult. Nice. My new outfit. I have to wear it around <laughs> while I'm an acolyte. Oh, that's, uh, that's excellent. Also joining us from way down south is Winston, Winston Churchill. Churchill. Yep. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed. By so many, to so few. <laughs> Excellent, Winston. I love the way you, you wiggled his head a little bit. As oh, just, just to emphasize the points. Yeah, so there you go. You got that going for you. Now you're stuck with me. Dave, I think you need a hat and a cigar and maybe lose the hoodie. How about Diet Coke? It's a little frightening looking anyway welcome everybody we're this is our uh right, but, number five or something like that well hey i really haven't introduced myself i think i'm winston churchill oh yeah oh they do yeah that's right go ahead rich this is the world famous rich Stokey, or at least semi world famous 
partially famous. Mildly famous. Especially after this show, you'll be very famous. Absolutely. 15 minutes of fame, maybe less, 15 seconds of fame in our own minds. But it's a pleasure to uh, be joining you again. Yeah, great to see you, as usual. So last, um, you know, on our last episode of the of the podcast, we talked about, well, we talked about Advanced Squad Leader. And uh, specifically, we talked about gliders. And so we're going to be talking about gliders and paratroopers and related things tonight. So if you haven't listened to that episode, and I notice a lot of people on TV now talk with their hands a lot. So, oh, yes, Dave, may I, uh, Dave you have a question? <laughs> if you haven't listened to the episode, time oh, out. Time out. Go back and listen to it. Yes. And then come back to the Hangout. That's right. Or you can go both ways. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, stop Yeah, and go back. Because there's a lot of ASL goodness over there. You know, it all works pretty well in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about gliders, and, and it was coincidental because Dave and I said, uh, let's talk about gliders. And then we, we wrote Rich and said, hey, you want to be on the show, we're going to talk about gliders. And coincidentally, he had something going on with gliders. So what did you have going on? Well, I mean, you got, were... Yeah, I got a ton to say about gliders and paratroopers both. And I'll start with back at, uh, at ASLOC, Robert Banizic and I partnered up as the Germans against uh, Jeff DeYoung and against uh, Larry Zoet as the Partisans. And we played that enormous scenario, Russell Sprung, which some of you might have heard of. It's a heat, heat of battle scenario. I mean, this is a big scenario. And maybe you could call it up, Dave, while I'm, uh, while I'm talking. I know you have a copy of it. This is a very big scenario. It's six boards, six full boards. It's got, I don't have the exact count here, but it's got about 40 or 50 partisan squads plus reinforcements. It's got anti-aircraft guns. It's got about 26 paratroopers for the Germans, SS. It's got another 25 or so uh, gliders coming in. It is an enormous scenario, and it's a perfect scenario for two-on-two because kind of half the scenario is played out on, on one side of the six boards, and the other victory condition is played out on the second half on the, on the other side, on the far, far right. And so there's like a battle for a hill on the one side, and there is a battle for a city on the other, which was not exactly reflected in that family picture. of. <laughs> I'm working on it. Keep talking. <laughs> so um, I, wanted to get, I wanted to let you know what Robert and I did that was unsuccessful with respect to the tactics we used for um, the uh, gliders and the paratroopers. And then I want to you're contrast. Going to tell us, you're going to tell us what didn't work? I'm going to tell you what didn't work, and then I want to contrast that with a scenario I just played last Saturday. Again, it was a two-on-two here at my house with a different group of players, but it was still two-on-two. And this time, what the Germans did was successful on the second try. And so I want to, uh, you know, share that, you know, as a contrast of how do you, how, the kind of tactics that you should consider using when you're using paratroopers and gliders in battle. Now, this, this, you said this scenario is from Heat of Battle. Do you know when, approximately when this came out? Or, um, and did it include maps or counters, or was it just a scenario that you use with existing? It's just uh, a scenario that you use with existing. There you go. I'm glad you found it there, Dave. Ah. So if you could scroll down, you'll see it's FF14. That's the number, and you can see the six boards there at the top. So before we scroll any further, let's leave it, leave it where it is for just a second, Dave, on the upper left just to paint the picture for you. So you board three 
is kind of a, like a town city board, if you remember. A lot of people know that. And then on the other side, board two, of course, is the big level three hill uh, board that a lot of folks use and a lot of people have seen. And so pretty much if you read the victory conditions, let's go to the victory conditions for a second. And I'll get into the liars, obviously, in a second. Where are the victory conditions? You Holy see? cow. Victory conditions. Tactical objective right there underneath, underneath the boards. Ah. Oh, yes. Scenario variables. So the Germans win if they capture Tito, who is a 10-negative-3 leader in the scenario. <laughs> cool. And it's almost impossible to capture a 10-negative-3 leader. So that's just in there kind of for flavor. Pretty much, though, you either have to... Um, Capture and control the cave. There's a cave on the level three hill that's that's installed there. And both, they have to capture the cave, generally protected by Tito. And you have to control all the stone locations on board three. And there's nine of those. There's nine stone locations on board three. So pretty much it's a perfect two-on-two scenario because it's very big and because it kind of evolves into, um, you know, one side and the other. You know, playing, and you can you know go faster if you have two play people playing at the same time against two other players. So Robert Banizik and I, we feel we know the scenario very well. In fact, if you look there at the credits at the top, Robert Banizik helped design the scenario. So he obviously knows it even better than I do, probably. Although I feel like I caught up to him with as often as I've played this thing and studied it. So it's a very big scenario. Let's go down and look at the units just to give you a flavor. I'm not going to go through it all because it's too much. Go ahead and look for the uh, for the units. So on the left, you got the partisans. You can see there's like 41 squads, and there's six crews. There's, there's machine guns. There's tons of leaders. There's big mortars. There's the anti-aircraft guns. There's an AFV. You know, you get the point. It's quite big. And you see the reinforcements that come on. And on the German side, it's kind of like 50-50. You got uh, turn one. You got those 26-plus paratroopers coming in and dropping down. And then on turn two, you've got those 25, or not quite that many, about 20 gliders coming wow. in. So it's That's a very big. big scenario. Yeah, it's very big. So what Robert and I did that was not successful, although we, you know, it wasn't random. We studied it and planned it and talked about it for months before we, uh, before we came in or before we, you know, played. We, we decided that we'd put about two-thirds or even maybe higher than two-thirds of the units on the level two or the board two hill side of the board or of the scenario. And about one-third would be geared towards the town, which is board three. Now, that's great to say, and that's a great strategy to, you know, suggest, but in reality, paratroopers are very unreliable. You just can't rely on paratroopers. There's a 50-50 chance, and you probably went through the rules last time, and you know there's a 50-50 chance they might land where you want. And even if they do land where you want on the drop zone or the drop point, they, uh, you know, get scattered all over the place. So, you know, they have to go pick up their weapons. It takes a while to even get paratroopers in the game. They could land off board. It's, you know, you really can't rely on paratroopers. Gliders are way more accurate and way more able to control, and so when you know... So yeah, because with, with gliders, even if they land, even if they get blown off uh, track and land somewhere else, at least they're together and they've got their weapons with them. Exactly. And, the they, men, can, yeah. and they, can fire, they can fire in the advancing fire phase. 
They can advance in the advanced phase of a turn that they enter. The gliders can. So the gliders have a ton of advantages the paratroopers just don't have. So knowing that, you really can't rely on the paratroopers. Nevertheless, Robert and I were fortunate in, in October at Aslock because four of our six, there's, there, we ended up with six sticks of those uh, 30 squads or so, or whatever the number was, 26 squads. And four of our six sticks landed where we wanted them to land. And they landed very safely and without harm. And the other two that wow. scattered, one of the ones that scattered just sort of landed in the middle of nowhere, but at least they weren't hurt. And the other one that scattered landed in a pretty good spot that was also helpful and also safe. So we were feeling great. We were feeling like, man, this is going good. Furthermore, one thing I didn't mention earlier was you get air support. The Germans get air support. If you look at the scenario card again, uh, yep. down in the right-hand corner, you'll see you get four Stukas in the beginning of the game. And, and so I went, I, I rolled, I was fortunate, I, I spotted one of their anti-aircraft guns, and I rolled snake eyes on the, uh, I got a critical hit with the bomb, a 200-millimeter bomb, a dream come true. It blew the gun completely out of the water. I think it even made a flame or something. And so uh, it was great. I mean, we were feeling like, man, we got this thing going. It's going our way. We're feeling good. And so... Uh, you know, we proceeded, and I was the one on board three kind of on the hill, just sort of taking my time, working my way through the buildings. And then Robert uh, was attacking the hill, and he had, like I said, about two-thirds of the units at least, including the best leaders and machine guns. Anyway, so he surrounded the hill, and he was feeling good, feeling like everything's going great. And then to make a long story short, Tito was directing the uh, fifty caliber machine gun, which you can show him there, Dave, on the scenario card. Tito's the 10 negative three liter again, and the 10 and the heavy machine gun there with uh, eight firepower is one of their weapons. That darn Tito. And he just went nuts. He just was rolling and keeping rate and K slashing and killing leaders and cutting squads in half. And he just went on a rampage and he just destroyed, I think, five of six of Robert's kill stacks all in one prep fire phase. Just completely was, uh, was Jermaine there too and Michael? And the other Jacksons? No, I don't remember seeing them. I think they were on the reinforcement sheet. I'm thinking of Tito Jackson. Sorry. I, I didn't get it. Sorry about that, Jeff. <laughs> well, now, knowing that, um, this is going to make a lot more sense for, if, from here on out. So what we learned was, or what we decided was, so, so we were unsuccessful. We didn't win. So I, I, we did play out the other side of the board just for fun, and I was able to win on board uh, three, the, 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 the town board. I did eventually win over there. But that didn't matter because if you're the Germans, you have to win, you know, on both sides to win. So, so we lost. I'm sorry. Time. I'm sorry, Rich. Who was your partner? Robert Banizik was my partner. One of the designers. You, I yeah. mean, you would think there would be. Oh yeah, he knows it well. Some I mean, he designed that. the scenario. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, when we thought we had a great strategy, we thought we had a little bit of good luck with the Stukas. We had yeah. good luck with people with the paratroopers landing two thirds, you know, where we wanted them to. We couldn't have asked for more. Other than, you know, Tito had a very fortunate prep fire phase. So what we decided was, or what I decided was, in the aftermath, I said, you know, there's no way, at least in my opinion, that the Germans can win this thing unless they're extremely aggressive with the gliders, which I'm going to cover in a minute as far as the rules of gliders, uh, on the very first turn that the gliders enter, which is turn two, and I'll explain my reasoning in a minute, but, you know, if you just wait for the 10 negative 3 leader to shoot at you while you're moving towards the hill, I mean, he's going, unless he rolls a 12 and breaks the machine gun or something really bad like that, 
you know, eventually he's going to be rolling really good rolls. If you keep giving him a rate of fire of three and you keep using the 10 negative three, he's going to kill you. He's going to get you. Prep fire phase, defensive fire phase, he's going to get you. So I played again last, uh, it was two Saturdays ago at my house, and I was partners with Dave Ramirez, and we were against uh, Rich Domovic and Dave Goldman, who agreed to play the partisan side. And so Dave and I got together, Dave Ramirez and I got together the week before, and we planned an extremely aggressive strategy. We pretty much didn't even care about the paratroopers. We, I mean, we, yeah, certainly we tried to place them in good spots, but we didn't care. You know, wherever they land, they land, and we'll use them if we can use them. We wanted to be super aggressive with the gliders on the hill and just take our time with the, uh, you know, with the paratroopers and move them towards the city and take our time with the 11 turns that this scenario has. So one of the things that I want to talk about with the rules and with the strategy for gliders is this. If you land, then I'm going to look at the little rules table here. If you could, if you could shoot over to that rules chart. Uh, yes, go to the gliders page. This is a Craig Dahl's paratrooper glider summary sheet. Yes, excuse me. And we'll link it, or uh, I think it's linked on our other show. And you can see I have my own little notes here uh, that I've that I've scribbled in the margins. So that's the paratrooper section. Scroll all the way to the uh, glider section, which is the second page. Yes, that's right. Oh, I lost it. Go back, please. Okay. I'm waiting for uh, Dave to bring it back up. Oh, it should be. Oh, oh, there it is. Thank you. All right, so just leave it there for a bit. Oh, yeah, you don't. You, need... If you click on it, Rich, on your screen, it will remain the active screen. Got it. Okay, very good. Thank you. I didn't know that. All right, so I'm not going to go through every single rule, but I want to go through some of the key rules that are extremely important when you're using gliders and if you choose to be aggressive with them, like we did. So the first thing is we we got really aggressive. We took like 20 of our 25 gliders and we landed them right on the level three and the level two hills right on top of Tito and his minions. And you might think, wow, that's really aggressive. You're going to lose a lot of squads. And we did. <laughs> we did lose a lot of squads, but it still was very successful, and I'll tell you why. So the first thing is you land, you put your gliders on their intended, land, on their intended landing hex, the ILH, like it's called here. And, again, I'm not going to go through every step. And they can attack. The first thing they do is they can attack with their anti-aircraft guns that are in anti-aircraft mode. So in this case, they had all three of their anti-aircraft guns ready to go, but they didn't expect us to attack that aggressively, and so they were faced the wrong way. So they had to turn their anti-aircraft guns, which means they had to add, you know, add die roll modifiers to their, to their shots, and they didn't hurt us that bad. I think they did blow one of our planes out of the sky out of the 20, so I think they blew one of them out of the sky, and that was it. Not too bad. So that was not so bad. But then um, you actually have to roll for, you know, uh, the landing. So if you scroll down to, like, that point number four, Dave, four and five. Land die roll here? Yeah, land die roll. So we were aggressive. We landed right on the trenches and right on the crest lines. And so you do have to roll, you know, um, it's not an automatic safe landing. You do have to roll uh, a decent number, like I think four or less with one die if you're adding two or adding one to keep it less than or equal to six, like it says there on step number five. 
So, but generally, I think we had one or two crash, and if you crash, that, that suffers casualty <clears throat> reduction. So I think we had one or two of the gliders crash, again, which is like a K-slash, so a full squad becomes a half squad. And that's, you know, it's just acceptable damage. That you yeah, it's tolerable, take. yeah. Yeah, because it's just, got, it's just one of the squads. Yeah, and I think two of our, I don't remember exactly, but I think two of them crashed, and, you know, I kind of expected that. I mean, that's the way it is. Okay, then scroll down to step six, please. And now we're getting down to the key strategy of why this works. Final fire. Yeah, so now it's final fire. So now the gliders have landed, and, you know, in many cases, they have triple point blank fire on, and you treat it as an unarmored vehicle. So, like, for example, Tito had a 527 squad and a heavy machine gun, eight firepower, so that's 13 firepower. And you triple that, of course, because it's in the hex, right? So you got 39 firepower, 36 firepower. And if you look at your chart, I just happen to have it with me, the star number on that is 13. The unarmored vehicle line is a 13. And you got a negative three modifier to boot. So you're saying to me, well, Rich, you know, unless they roll a 12, almost anything they roll is going to destroy the glider. And I, my answer to you is yes, that's true. However, the key rule that I really want to point out to the listeners that I learned myself, and that's from reading the rules a lot, and also I talked to uh, Bob Bendis, who's one of these expert players that knows a lot about it, and he also referred me to this and encouraged me to use this rule. There's no such thing in the glider rules as a burning wreck. So even if Tito rolls a two, which is way less than or equal to half of yeah, the right. number, there's no such thing as a burning wreck. So the crew survival number is seven, which you can see right there on step six. Yeah. So even though, so I don't remember exactly what they rolled, but whatever it was, you, if you get a seven, your unit is fine. So yes, I can't remember exactly which units rolled what, but there were a couple of, you know, rolls that were less than the star number. And we rolled for, and sometimes we rolled higher than seven. I can't remember all the statistics now, but sometimes we didn't. And so that ties up their fire. They can only fire within their own hex. And, you know, unless they destroy the thing and keep rate, which, you know, happens, but the odds are against that happening. So the point is we had 20 of these gliders. One got shot out of the sky by anti-aircraft. A couple of them crashed. And maybe four or five more were destroyed by rolling greater than seven on the crew survival. But we still had about 12 or 11 that survived, and those had flamethrowers, which could then fire in the advancing fire phase, right at Tito, point blank, 24 firepower, flat. And sure enough, we got that turkey and took advantage of these rules. So we were extremely aggressive. Now, we lost, you know, eight squads right off the bat out of the 20, you know, which is bad, a lot of death. But we, you got to get Tito. you got to get him. And we took advantage of the fact that there's no such thing as a burning wreck, and the crew survival of seven is a pretty good, pretty good number. Not that hard to roll seven or less. And we chose this aggressive strategy. It worked. It worked well. So I was very excited to share that with you guys. It's, I don't know if it's a glitch in the glider rules, or uh, I don't. I don't think it's a glitch. I really think that's the way it is. So that's a key. Uh, that's a key rule, and uh, that's the tactic that you want to use when you're using gliders. Paratroopers are very vulnerable. One of our paratroopers landed right on that level two hill, and they were just decimated. I think of the six squads or five squads, I, if not all of them, almost all of them were just destroyed through, you know, they break and they can't route and they, uh, 
you know, they're surrounded by enemy units and they surrender or they're eliminated from failure to route. The paratroopers are just so vulnerable, you just can't count on them. But the gliders, you can really do something with. So anyway, that's that's the, I guess, the strategy with respect to those things that I wanted to share. Yeah, Jeff and I noticed they don't burn when we were doing our show and uh, thinking about, well, gas tanks? They don't have... They're gliders. Right. They're not, they don't have engines, right? They're not that's loaded right. with gas yeah. or anything. That's right. So that's a key rule. Now, when they get shot down by the anti-aircraft, then they're destroyed and there is no crew survival. They're all just dead. Right. Yeah, but in my experience with gliders, too, has been that very few, and I was telling Jeff, get shot down out of the air. That's been right. my experience. Yeah, it's hard. you got to roll a pretty low number. It happens. You can do it, especially if you have anti-aircraft guns. The other strategy I want to point out for the Defender, which I uh, observed, is this is both against the paratroopers and the gliders both. You can mark a heavy machine gun with an anti-aircraft marker so that's prepared to fire like that. And you can do that. But you don't want to do that, in my opinion. Why now, is that? The reason you don't, there's two reasons why you don't. Now, against paratroopers you will get the minus two hazardous movement modifier. So that tempts you to want to mark your heavy machine gun with the anti-aircraft marker because then you get the minus two modifier. But if you if you read the rules very carefully, when you use, the, when you use a heavy machine gun in anti-aircraft mode, it doesn't get any rate of fire, and it can't be directed by leaders. And it can cower, all three. So you're only going to get one shot for sure, Yes, you'll get a negative two modifier with it, but it, even if you roll low or roll ready to fire, you don't get ready to fire when it's in anti-aircraft mode. So in yeah, my opinion, that is correct. Yeah, so in my opinion, it's worth not putting your heavy machine gun in anti-aircraft mode in order to keep your leadership direction, in order to keep your rate of fire opportunity, even though you are giving up the minus two modifier versus the, uh, the paratroopers. So strategy on the defensive side is don't mark your heavy machine gun with anti-aircraft. Leave it you know, in normal mode. It's going to be more effective. And wait wait until the uh, the troops actually hit the ground and then go after them? I think so. That's yeah. my opinion, and I guess that's what I would do if I were the defender in this scenario. Okay. Now, the anti-aircraft guns, of course, they could be in anti-aircraft mode, no problem, and they should be, and you want them to be. Right. But the heavy machine gun is what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. Well, great. That's uh, quite fascinating. Um, what I wanted, I have a board set up here, and I don't know if this happened to you when you were playing your scenario, Rich, but we were talking about this, of course, when we covered the rules, and we were talking about the avenue of approach, and uh, one of the things that I, I had a hard time describing was what happens if your glider is coming in on an avenue of approach that is either very close to the edge of the board, or for some reason you get... Um, Redirected. What's the proper term here? Uh, forced to evade. Forced to evade. Yes, evade thank on. you. Uh, where you where you're getting off to the, off the board or close to the edge of the board, and so I've set up a, a board four here, which is the same board that they use in the rules in uh, chapter E, uh, section eight, which mm -hmm. covers gliders, and it shows here how when a glider is on the edge of the board. So here's a glider. I'm going to stand up here. This is my intended landing hex right here, and you can see the glider in it. 
here's my marker that shows the uh, the wind direction that I rolled at the beginning of the scenario. And so the wind is is coming from this direction. Therefore, the glider is heading into the wind. Yep. And this could be actually my intended landing hex, or it could be that I've evaded to this point. But you can see that this angle of uh, um, the avenue of approach goes out behind the glider. Now, when you're when you don't have enough board space to cover that, what you what you do is you take the same terrain that's in the mirror image of this angle. So here's the avenue. The actual avenue of approach goes out five hexes behind the glider. But when you calculate the terrain in order to, to figure out your modifiers when you're landing, you use the terrain that's the mirror image, which is, in this case is directly in front of the glider. Yep, that's absolutely right, Jeff. So if I got, now, now this is where it gets a little weird, uh, and I've used a desert board here just, just to keep the hexes in, uh, uh, in perspective. But if I get uh, another, if I'm forced to evade again over to this point, The angle of approach shifts likewise this way. Oh, interesting. I never yeah, thought about sorry, that. the avenue of approach goes off this way. So, yeah, it's a little odd um, to look wanted... at. It's a little odd to think about when, but when you actually put it out on the board, then it then it makes sense. So, and that this is a case in particular where it's good to have a board. You could just lay the stuff out follow what they talk about uh, in the rules section, and it becomes clear then when that happens, what, what, how that works. So kind of odd, kind of bizarre, but it makes sense too. Well, where it could hurt you is like if you were trying to land, I don't, I can't quite read the, uh, I think is that K10, what is that? This is um, the, the row that the glider is in is row P. Yeah, I know that, but we're trying to land in um, next to the woods. I can't see. I cannot read uh, here. No, keep going to your left. No, here. okay, the other way. The other way. Yeah, it's uh, it's the ten, the ten hex, the ten. Uh, That's T, T ten. Okay, go to S ten. Go to S ten. S is in Sam ten. Try to land in S ten. Yeah, put the glider there for a second. Okay, so now if you do the mirror image, you would have a wood. You'd have a woods hex. Uh, I guess two hexes behind the glider, right? You'd have a level one woods hex. Or is that in, oh, behind because it's a mirror? Right. Right. So, would it be, yeah, yeah two hexes behind. behind the glider, that's right. Right, so remove all the all the little uh, stones except for the one that's two behind the glider. Is that in front of the glider? Well, remove all the ones except for the one that's two behind the glider, behind the glider. Behind the glider, okay. Yeah, that one. yeah, and yeah, that's right. So that's like a woods hex. The one that you left there is like a woods hex. Uh, yes, that's right. So that's a level one, and it's two hexes behind the glider. So when you roll for, go back to that chart now, if you would, for a second, Dave. Oh, did you close that? Oh yeah. So when you're rolling to uh, land. Right. So on your landing, in this case, in this example, where you've got a woods hex two behind the glider on the land die roll, you get minus one on step four. Look at step four. You get minus one for each hex of clear, clear terrain, which in this case is minus one. You only have one hex of clear terrain. Yeah, and then the plus one for the full level. 
from right. the obstacle behind it. That's right. So you'll, in this case, you'd have a zero. So when you roll for your um, landing crash die roll, it has to be less than or equal to one. So unless you roll a one on the color die roll of your land die roll, it's not going to be accurate in this case. So the odds are five out of six that it will not land where you want it to land. Right. Because the trees are there. Yes. But I, and I'm sorry, I should have said this before. Are you are you doing this right? The glider is here. The actually the hex directly behind the glider would have trees in it. This one. Well, no, it, no. You can still use T. I think is that is that. I can't read the letters. I'm so sorry. It's that's oh. T. This is T nine. Okay, so what's right behind the glider? What's the row there? R ten. Okay, so R ten is clear. So you can leave it clear. Oh yes, you're right. I'm On sorry. this board, yes, of course. Yes. Of course, that's right. And so then the woods is two behind it. Yes. So the odds are five out of six that this is not going to land where you want it to land. Yeah. So that's where it can hurt you is uh, when there is a level one or level two or some kind of or a building or something like that that gets behind you. So what are you, what are you showing us here, Dave? I think the first game you might want to play if you're going to try your gliders is Tavernitis Bridge. Now, where's this from? Now, it started with the annual, A1, first okay. scenario in the annual, republished as 93. And its roar record was like 40 pro-German against like 20-something for the British. And so you want to play the 93 number that came with, uh, what was it, Rich reissued with uh, Beyond Valor or the um, for King and Country, I think. Yeah, I've seen that scenario. I don't remember it offhand, but I know I've seen it. But that's much yeah. simpler. That's much simpler than Russell Sprung. I don't remember. I don't recommend starting with that. No, right. The uh, the re the reissue one in '93 was um, about fifty fifty on the victory on the roar record, and it has ten gliders and ten troops for the Germans, and then just five defenders. They got to land under this bridge in this like dry valley, and then they charge up the hill. And I remember losing this. To Wally, I have it marked even here, who I lost to. In the last turn, as the Germans came running up to this last building I was trying to hold, and I failed my morale check. And beating Wally would have been a big deal for me back in the day. Uh, and also, A2 is Bofors Bashing. This is Mal Malim Crete, 1941. And so is this one. That's May 20th. Yeah, they're both the same day, even. So they're like a two parter. So you could play this side. Bofors bashing, which adds the... Um, Sorry, what, what nationality are those? British, German, Crete. Oh, okay. British, German, and Crete. And it adds the uh, AA guns on this one, so you get practice with that, whereas the other side didn't have that. To, to you know, So you could concentrate on just learning your glider rules here. Yeah. And then play this one, A2, which I don't know, I'm imagining is like 94 or something in the reissue. It's got to be a reissue. I didn't double-check that. but And then you get to... Um, I think, is there a way these two go together? Or no, this one's kind of the same thing, just up, up gunned. So you have more variety here. Yeah, I agree. That's I, a, good, I would, a good way to learn. Yeah, definitely recommend that as a starting place. And there are good examples in the rule book that you can follow. And, you know, this chart that Greg Dahl, whom I don't know, put together. But, but I found Greg's charts helpful. But I, you know, as you saw in that chart, I had to take my own notes to clarify a few things that, you know, help me understand it better. Yeah, I kind of like seeing your notes on there. 
Yeah, you could sell this, Rich. You could oh, sell sure. this. Very no, valuable. Mr. Daw would have to get his share of the cut. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, and we need our share, Dave. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course. So, well, Rich, did you, when you were preparing um, for this scenario, did, you didn't play any, uh, like, practice scenarios that included gliders or anything like that, did you? Well, I didn't play any practice scenarios, but uh, Dave and I actually did simulate, Dave Ramirez and I actually did simulate, we set up a hypothetical uh, partisan, you know, level three defense with machine guns and leaders and trenches and, and Tito and the, and the eight firepower heavy, you know, machine gun. And we did simulate doing what I just described verbally of landing right on top of them and seeing what would happen and so we did actually simulate our attack to see how bad it would be or how crazy it would be. And I think Dave was surprised because when I first proposed it, he's like, oh, Rich, that's not going to work. They're just going to get destroyed. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, too, when you first said that. I'm like, and I, oh. and I And I got to give credit to Bob Bendis. I can't take credit for this. Bob's the one that encouraged me to consider it. He uh, twisted my arm hard because I asked for his advice. And he said, Rich, you got to do it. I'm telling you, that's the only way to beat Tito. And I, I didn't believe him at first, but I simulated it and we tested it. And, it, you know, it doesn't always work. And if they know you're going to do that, they can probably set up to really nail you if they know you're going to do that. But if they set up what I'll call a normal defense, which doesn't anticipate that hugely aggressive move, it'll work. Quite but amazing. Well, but I've lost the scenario three or four times before I got to this point. Yeah. So I didn't just stumble. You know, I, I know how to lose this scenario. Believe me, I've only won it once. <laughs> You know, do you ever do you ever play a scenario and you keep on losing, but you just know you should be able to win? Do you ever um, have that? I'm going to have to say yes. That happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's possible to win. <laughs> I do know that. Dave, do you ever have a scenario that you just keep losing, but you just know you can win it? Not a lot, because I'm always moving off to the next scenario. Now I played this one twice, lost with the Germans, and then I won with the Germans. My little notes here. And so then I was off to Bulfer's bashing, and then from there off to the next one. Well, occasionally I just get hung up on one, and I just insist on playing it until I, I win. I think that's a gr actually a great idea, actually. I do, too. I know from, for myself, when I was first learning uh, ASL, I like taking the same scenario and playing it multiple times, switching sides and stuff like that. Because yeah, of course. It really, so. really helped it drill into my head. Now, the one I did do with that was with that Wally guy that taught me the streets of, uh, what was that one? Streets, streets of Stalingrad? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, with that, attacking that. I mentioned it before on the on the show. I, I, I defend as the Russian in the factory. He blows me apart across the street with first fire. I mean, with prep fire, right? Easily crosses the street, gets in the factory. So we switch sides. I'm like, now I'm going to blast you away in prep fire. And he set up interior hexes and made me come into the building <laughs> and hit me with first fire. And then I'm like, dang, I can't beat this guy. So yeah, that one we played a lot, but that was back in the day. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, I hate when they do that. Well, um, I think we've actually What's our time, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. We've got, uh, 48 minutes into this. And so on I this think, one, I think actually this is not a bad spot to stop because I would love to spend yeah, some time on Rich's, um, on Rich's charts and tables, but I think we should save that for another show, okay. which we can do, you know, in the very near future. And in when we're recording this, as we were talking about this, I thought it'd be a great show uh, to talk about 
how to play in teams and and what do you do when you're playing teams of two how do you divide it up how do you divide up the uh you know the troops the troops and who's in in charge of what and not get mad at your fellow player when he doesn't go the way you would go or yeah, follow exactly. your advice or who so, gives the advice? Do you have one guy be the general? I, or? I, can, I can share some examples of, uh, of of fighting between each other a little bit. I know like when Robert and I played, it was not a big deal, but uh, you know how you're allowed to do a multi-man counter self-start you know, at the beginning of your prep fire or beginning of your rally phase on your turn? Yes. Of course you know that. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I just went ahead and rolled for one. I didn't even ask him for his advice or if he had one that he thought was worth doing. I just was doing my own thing on my side of the board, and I did it. And, of course, I was unsuccessful because I had a DM guy, and he needed, like, a four or something. And so Robert turned to me and said, well, why'd you do that for? I had one over here that needed a nine because he's not DM anymore. He could have asked me, you know, and I just went ahead and did it myself, and I felt bad. But he was right. I should have let him do it. You want to show us the scar that you have actually now from that uh... – yeah, so it's quite painful. I feel, yeah. <laughs> I feel awful. But, but anyway, but that's a that's a lesson learned is communicate with your partner and give him the chance if you think he's got a better chance. Or like when there's sniper attacks, you might want to take a sniper here or there, and you should talk about it. And you can't just you know plow ahead with your own thing and ignore your partner. Well, we've got. Uh, I would say we have a number of topics then to cover with you, Rich, in the near future. One would be that how to play with. Uh, you know, a, a four-player game where you're playing partners on sides. Uh, one would be to cover your tables. We want to do that as soon as possible because you've got a lot of good mm-hmm. stuff there. Yeah, I've added four and, or five uh, since we've last spoken, I think, that are worth uh, looking at. Yeah. So um, come and join us in the broadcast foxhole or here on another Hangout or whatever in the near future, and we'll look forward to that. And I'm sure our listeners will, too. Yep, absolutely. Yep, that'll be fun. That's great. Dave, you got somebody in your broadcast foxhole. I see. I see somebody peeking out. What? An entity of some kind, a carbon unit. Who is that? I, I don't see anything. Is that Adam? I don't see anything. Is he gone? Okay. I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. All right. Well, Maybe anyway. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Rich, very much. Yep, you coming and spending the time and uh, and very informative. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks. Yeah, and remember, Rich, do you remember our, our closing? Well, I can try. Okay. Roll low. And rally well. But, but not, not when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Yep, got it. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye, everyone. See you next See time. Ya. Wait, I got Churchill. Hold on. Oh, Winston. Yep, bye. Hitler knows that he must break us in this island or lose the war. Oh, very good, Dave. Well, not very good, but... Bye-bye, everyone. Yeah, bye, everyone. Yeah. All right, and we hope you enjoyed that. And episode 84 will be up next, and you can look forward to a regular episode full of letters and box art review and what's in the box and some rules all for your listening pleasure. Join us again later. Roll low and rally well, but not when you're playing Jeff and I. Bye-bye, everybody.